So today's Bible reading is from Proverbs chapter 7. So I'll give you a moment to open that, and it should be on the screen behind us. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, at the dark of night, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have come from my... I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not be home till moon, till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many of the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Okay, we're good to go. G'day everyone, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Paraka. I don't know about you, but I reckon we need to get Nathaniel back up here in a couple of weeks and to tell us how it went at, uh, at Jesus Week. It's a deal, Nathaniel? He's nodding, he's smiling, we've got some thumbs up, we're all good. <clears throat> Uh, today we're going to be talking about the topic that really needs no introduction. We're going to be talking about sex. Uh, <laughs> uh, sex is all around us, isn't it? We live in a sex-saturated society. Movies, marketing strategies, TV shows, magazines, books, songs. Sex is everywhere. But despite that, I think there are some signs that our society is at least confused about sex to some degree. So let, <clears throat> let me give you an example. Um, you see it in the way that casual sex is portrayed in lots of forms of entertainment. Again, in our TV shows, our movies, our songs. Um, they portray this idea that casual sex, that it's so normal, that it's good, that everyone's doing it. If, if you're not, you're actually missing out. But at the same time, we're also told sex is really important. It is, it is, it's not supposed to be cheap and easy. It's, it's, it's deeply intimate. And you can see those things don't really square with each other. 
right? Sex cannot be both deeply intimate and casual at the same time. So I think, I think we're confused about sex. But there is one thing our society is not confused about, and it's this. What happens in the bedroom is private, so everyone else ought to keep out. No one's allowed to tell me what to do, but, but especially not in there. The problem for us today is that the Bible just won't stay out of the bedroom. Now, some of us might have this idea that the Bible is kind of prim and proper, a little bit like your grandma. You'd never expect to hear anything suggestive out of her. But that's not actually what the Bible's like at all. The Bible's got heaps to say about sex. And why not? After all, sex is God's invention. He made it. So the Bible doesn't stay out of the bedroom which might actually make some of us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I want to say it's actually really good, isn't it? Because sex is too important. It's too important for, us, for God to stay silent about it, and we need to hear what he's got to say. Uh, here at church, we've been looking at a part of the Bible called Proverbs. Proverbs is a, is a book about wisdom. It's about living wisely in this world that God has made. Uh, and today we're going to hear God's wisdom on sex. But before we get into Proverbs, I do just want to note one thing about Proverbs, the book. Uh, throughout Proverbs, often when it talks about sex, the one being tempted is always a man, and the one doing the tempting is always a woman. And you would have noticed that when, when Nathaniel read out chapter 7 before, right? And, and that could leave you thinking that women are the bad temptresses, seducing men, and poor old blokes, they're just the victims, aren't they? <laughs> it should elicit laughter. It's not like that at all. And in fact, it's a misreading of Proverbs entirely. Because um, do you remember how Proverbs chapter 7 began? It started with these words, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. It, it's, it's written from the point of view of a father talking to his son. That's not just chapter 7, that's the way most of Proverbs is written. From a father wanting his son to, to choose wisely in his life, to walk down the right path. And that's why the temptation is from a woman, because the father knows for his son that that will be the snare. Women, Proverbs is not trying to say you're the problem, not at all. And blokes don't go away thinking women are the problem in this area. That is not the case. Proverbs is warning all of us about the dangers that lie in sexual temptation. Okay, that's the first little thing. I just wanted to get that, get that out there. Um, with that in mind, then let's keep going then. The first thing we really notice in Proverbs is, is that it warns us to stay away from what it calls the strange partner. Uh, look at, I'm going to explain that, but to start that, let's look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16 on the screen there. Proverbs 2, 16, wisdom will also save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Now, literally here, she is the, the strange woman. She's the foreign woman. Why? It's not because she came from a different country. It's because it's she's not your partner. She's not the one that you share a bed with. So in a very real sense, she's, she's out of place. She's strange. She's a foreigner to your bedroom. The strange partner, essentially, is it's anyone who's not your spouse. And the warning from Proverbs is that the strange partner will bring you harm. They'll damage you. And they'll damage your relationships. That's what happened in chapter 7, wasn't it? What happened when, 
when, when the young guy went into the adulterous woman's house, how did it end up? These words from verse 26. Many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. You see very clearly what it says, that the strange partner brings harm. Proverbs often talks about the strange partner in two kind of forms. It's either often the affair or the prostitute, but both of them bring harm. And any kind of modern day twist on that also brings harm. And we could talk about affairs, one night stands, Tinder hookups. But I want us right now, actually, just for a moment, to consider pornography, perhaps for a bit longer. Pornography. Um, Porn is, is very easy to access, super easy. I, wear, I read one study um, about pornography and 13 to 16-year-olds, so earlier kind of teenage life. In that age group, 93% of the boys had seen online porn and 62% of the girls. That was in 2006. Since then, there's been much greater access to technology through things like smartphones. So I can only imagine that those numbers have increased. Do you remember the um, Pokemon Go craze from five or six years ago? Who remembers? Do you remember Pokemon Go? You got the little, um, they got it on your phone and you took your phone out and you carried it around and it kind of gave you an alternate version of reality as you walked around. You had to find the Pokemon and catch them. And it was a huge craze, right? Like this was, this was mega. It became so big that it, for a little while it was the number one most searched for thing on the internet. Do you know what it had to beat to get to number one? Pornography searches. And when the craze of Pokemon Go died down, do you know what became number one after it? Pornography searches again. In fact, in 2018, just, just one, just one porn site had 33 and a half billion visits for just one, one website. Which is just to show you that porn is so prevalent throughout our world, throughout our society. It's the air we breathe. And this is not just a guy thing, it's men and women are consuming it both. And then here is the issue. Porn is not harmless. Pornography damages some time ago, I read an article on the ABC News website. The article quoted a woman whose name was Susan McLean. She's a cyber safety expert. She travels around to schools and talks a lot to teenagers. And in the article, she said she's seen an alarming trend. More and more high school girls are being asked to reenact porn scenes with their boyfriends. And in the process... Some of them are getting injured, seriously injured with lifelong consequences. And it's not just a high school thing either. It, it, the article also interviewed another woman who explained how the same thing happened to her, not when she was a teenager, but as a fully grown adult woman. The article also spoke to one man who recalled how his brain had been rewired by the porn that he watched. It taught him to think of sex not as a two-person thing, 
but now a one-person thing. It was all about himself. This is not some kind of Christian crazy nut job website that's talking just about Christian things. It's, this is from our public... This is from the ABC. I'm about to show you a quote. This, this, this quote doesn't come from the ABC article, but it comes from a woman who's a sex educator, a researcher, a therapist, and it backs up the experience that that man talked about, about his brain being rewired. This is what she said. She says... Pornography is not fun, innocent fantasy or a form of healthy sex education. It is harmful at brain level to anyone using it. And she goes on to say, let's be frank about it. Pornography is a dehumanized parody of non-relational, self-gratifying sex. Viewing it rewires your brain to accept fantasy sex and live by its standards in the long run, it destroys your ability to build and keep intimate sexual relationships. Friends, make no mistake. Pornography damages. It does. It is a strange partner and it is harmful. As any strange partner is harmful. Will you heed these warnings from Proverbs today. But Proverbs just doesn't, doesn't just warn us about the strange part. It also teaches us about the alternatives. Why, why not, where, where to actually seek sexual fulfillment or where to seek your, your, your life. What is good in this? There's two things we'll look at here. And the first one is, is marriage. This is the most obvious one of all, isn't it? And, and Proverbs has heaps to say about how good marriage is. Uh, let, me, let me show you chapter 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. See, that a spouse is not just good. A spouse is a good gift from God. They're saying marriage is a good thing. And sex in marriage is a good thing. Uh, we're going back a few years here, but in the late 70s, Playboy, play, the Playboy magazine people, that they, um, they did a study... They wanted to explore the attitudes of men who were aged 18 to 49. I assume they thought this was their target audience. And do you know what they found? Uh, which men had the most satisfying sex lives? Married men. Doesn't this just fly in the face of all the stereotypes we hear on our movies and TV shows? They keep saying that, that marriage more or less ends your sex life. And if you really want to kill the last remnants of it, have kids and that'll do the trick. But that's just not right, is it? And even Playboy magazine could, could, could not hide the fact that marriage is the best place for sex. Are you married here today? Wives, husbands... Enjoy your spouse. The second thing Proverbs wants to hold up and say is really good is singleness. So check out these two verses. First one from verse 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 9. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. 21.19 Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Now, partly, in part, these warn against 
uh, making a bad marriage choice. So I want to say, if you're here, one of the young people who's um, not married yet, do be aware, not just any person will do. If you get married, choose wisely. Choose well. But in part, these verses also show the wisdom of singleness. The good choice that singleness is. It is better to be alone than being with a badly chosen spouse. Singleness is a choice of wisdom. If you're here today and you are a single person, I do want you to hear this. Most single people I know, most of them don't want to be single. Maybe that's how you're feeling today. But I do want you to hear this. Singleness is a better choice than a bad marriage partner. Don't go for the wrong spouse just because they're there. There's something else I want to say, though. It's this. Uh, Often our churches can feel like clubs for happy families. We talk up marriage, it's good. We, we celebrate engagements. We uh, rejoice when babies are born into families. Um, and it's not like we mean to do this, but, 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 and, and those things are good to celebrate, but all the while, it makes the single people in our church community feel further and further on the outer, like they just don't fit. So earlier this week, I caught up with Anya. Anya's part of our church here. She's actually out right now with our kids, teaching them about Jesus in the back here. I caught up with Anya, and I asked her if she could tell us a little bit about the kinds of things that are helpful for us to do as a church, helpful for single people. Uh, I've got a video. Put a quick video together. Uh, Check out what she's got to say. I found this really good. I'm going to watch the video now. Hi everyone, welcome to Mawson Lakes Uni. This is where I spend a couple of days a week meeting up with students, reading the Bible and helping them know Jesus better. Uh, I'd like to take a quick moment to say thanks everyone who's been supporting me and uh, it's been really great to be able to be here and even to increase my time to two days a week this semester. So I couldn't do that without you guys. Uh, Well, I'll start with what I wish my church had done when I was growing up. Uh, I I really wish they had uh, set better expectations about marriage and singleness. Uh, So a classic example is the common phrase is when you get married. Think about this for when you get married. Um, But actually, not everyone gets married and not everyone should get married. And that's okay. And and so if, yeah, if my expectation hadn't been when I get married, but if I get married, then I wouldn't have had to deal quite so much with the, uh, the questions of, well, is there something wrong with me or am I weird or even unlovable in some way um, because there's no one around who wants to marry me. Uh, so, yeah, like that, that's actually pretty painful stuff to go through. And I think if I'd had better expectations, if my church and culture and 
society had had better expectations about that, it still probably would have been hard, but I think it would have been less painful. Uh, church should be family. Uh, it's family of God. Uh, so 1 Timothy talks about that somewhere. 1 Timothy talks about uh, church being the family of God. So how do we live that out as a church? Um, how do we include not just nuclear families in that, but also single people, um, old people, young people, everyone? How do we um, act like a family as a church? So a few practical ways that, um, yeah, that I found to be really helpful is uh, having you know, regular times where I can go and have dinner with a family and just be part of their family life. So um, yeah, I was really encouraged earlier this year, a family from Modbury invited me to go camping with them. And uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. It was a way for them to kind of include me in their family uh, and their family holidays. And yeah, it was fun, it was relaxing, and it was really nice to just be included in that. This is a challenge for us to think about how we're going to care for people who are older and on their own and don't have much support. Um, I actually saw a lovely example of this uh, the other day at work. I was talking with um, a lady, 90-something year old lady, who uh, had just come into residential care for respite for a few weeks. And I was doing her initial assessment and her great-nephew was there as well. And so she doesn't have any children of her own. And so her nephews and great nephews are the ones who do a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of that practical care for her and help her make those big decisions. But also she talked about her church family, uh, who have a team of people who pick her up for appointments, drive her to appointments, because she gave up her license when she was 90, thinking that was enough time to be driving. Um, so yeah, her church family look after her, help her get to appointments and help her get to church. And I just thought, oh, isn't that lovely to see that her church family is caring for her? This comes back to some of our expectations and our thinking about marriage and singleness. Um, even if singleness is a good thing, as parts of the Bible do talk about, there is still grief associated with it. Um, yeah, I think sometimes probably married and single people can look at each other and think the grass is greener. Um, but probably both need to acknowledge the, the difficulties for each other. So yes, I have plenty of flexibility uh, in how I spend my time, when I go on holidays, where I go on holidays, and yeah, what I do for work, all those kinds of things. Um, but there are there are losses as well. So you know, there are things like um, yeah, feeling like I don't fit so well in communities. Feel free to come talk to me afterwards. Um, I hope this has been a helpful way to help you think about caring for not just me, but other single people in your families and in our church family. Wasn't that helpful? Like, it's so good um, 
for Enya to be able to be so vulnerable and, and thoughtful and looking out for us. Like I said, Enya's out in kids right now, but catch her later and say thanks. And if you've got some follow-up questions you want to ask her, please do. She's, she's willing to do that. Uh, but again, I want to say to you, um, if you are married... Are there ways that you could care for the single people who are part of church here with us? See, Proverbs is warning us, don't stray to the strange partner. If you're married, enjoy your spouse. If you're single, uh, consider continuing on that path of singleness, not, not, not turning off, not straying away. Because those two choices are the wise choices, the good choices. Those two choices avoid the harm of the strange partner. But there's one more thing that we need to hear about today. Something that is uh, bigger, more important than marriage or single. Something that supersedes both of them. The most wise path to keep you straying from straying to the strange partner is actually Jesus himself. Because Jesus is the true spouse. Jesus is the true husband. I'm about to read from a part of the Bible. Um, it's called Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five. This this is part of a letter that was sent to a church in the city of Ephesus. It's used to be an ancient Greece, but now part of modern-day Turkey. Um, there you can see some of the ruins of Ephesus. But in the letter, it's, it's telling husbands to love their wives. But as we read through, you'll notice partway through, it ends up actually being about Jesus. Let me read it to you here. Here we go. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What makes the strange partner so appealing? Why do people go off and have affairs or, or, or watch porn or just spend time in lustful fantasy? Why? It's because we're all looking for it to do something for us. We want the company. We want that sense of being complete. We want that satisfaction, the feeling that comes in our lives. But these things, don't they just end up being so unfulfilling? Because none of these things can bring satisfaction in a true and lasting way, but Jesus does. Did you catch that bit of Ephesians? That Jesus is the true spouse, the true husband, the profound mystery that marriage points us to is actually Jesus. And how Jesus cares for and loves and completes his people, his church. So marriage is not the ultimate thing. And sex in marriage is not the ultimate thing. Marriage and intimacy actually point to a, a, a bigger reality, a, a, bigger, a better thing. That is the way that Jesus fulfills and satisfies his church in every way. Something that followers of Jesus can experience in part now and in fullness in the age to come. See, whether you're single or married now, that's not the main game. Because real fulfillment is found in neither of those things. Real fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. 
Sex is good, but it's only like a warm-up act at a rock concert. They're the band that comes out first. But they're there not, not because they're the main event. They're there to get you ready for what is to come. They're not the main attraction. So don't miss, on it, miss out on, on what really matters. Don't miss out on this offer where Jesus gives you fullness, completeness, satisfaction, and eternal life. Don't miss out on the offer that Jesus gives. So then, where to from here? In light of this, there's at least three things, three big things for us all. Uh, Here they are. Heed, help, and have. Heed, help, and have. Firstly, heed. Heed the warnings. I said this before. The strange partner brings damage, brings hurt. They always do. Is porn an issue for you? Make sure you've got some software on your computer or your phone that, that, that helps give you protection. Do you find yourself continually caught up in lustful fantasy? Work at becoming disciplined in your thought life. Exercise that muscle. Do you find reading uh, certain books that get hot and heavy an issue? Put them down. Resolve not to pick them up. When you're struggling, ask a close friend for help so that you can stay accountable with them. Heed the warnings, friends. Don't go to the strange partner. Heed the warnings and help. Help the next generation. Teach your kids about God's view on sex. And I'm particularly talking now to the parents in the room who are followers of Jesus. If you don't teach your kids about sex, where are they going to learn from? School, right? But not in the sex ed classes. They'll learn it from their friends. Or they'll learn it from the pornography that they see. Even if they don't want to see it, they'll, they'll see it. Uh, or they'll learn it from their shows, the movies, the, the world that they live in there. The writer of the Proverbs, he had a son... And he didn't leave it up to chance. He taught his son God's view on sex, how to live wisely in this world God has made. Parents, will you do the same for your kids? One of our problems is often we just don't know where to start, right? So let me just recommend a a set of books here. Uh, These are written by a Christian woman who's a sexologist. Whoever knew there was such a job as a sexologist, right? But... Uh, I quoted from this woman earlier on. You start over this side, it's, it's um, books that are for younger kids, and over this side you're getting older and older. I've read the one for teenagers cover to cover and really happy to recommend it. The woman who wrote these books is fantastic. But if you need help figuring out where to start in teaching your kids, these are a great place to go. I'll put a link to these kind of books on our weekly email this week. Heed the wisdom, help the next generation, and then have, have forgiveness. So it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not, but for many of us, talking about God and sex at the same time, it can bring up feelings of guilt. Uh, there's things in the past that we might be ashamed of, battles that we're trying to fight that we feel we're constantly losing. 
It can make us feel dirty and guilty, ashamed of what's gone on. This is what Jesus wants you to know. He stands ready to forgive you. Jesus stands ready to forgive you. He knows the secrets of your heart. It's not going to be something that surprises him about your history. And yet he stands ready to forgive. Jesus once met a woman who was broken by her sexual past. She'd had five husbands. And at the time she met Jesus, uh, she was shacked up with another guy who wasn't her husband. She was broken by her sexual past. But Jesus invited her to come and have living water. He invited her to come and have the satisfaction that all her sexual exploits couldn't actually bring her. Part of that meant inviting her to have the forgiveness that's on offer through Jesus. And today, Jesus stands and offers you the same forgiveness. Whether you've asked for Jesus a thousand times before or whether this is new to you, Jesus offers you forgiveness. Take him up on that offer, won't you? Take him up on that offer. Do business with God today. And look, if this is the first time that you do that, why not let someone know? It's a momentous thing. We'd love to share the moment with you. But take up Jesus on his offer. Why don't I pray for us? Let me pray. Our Father God, we hear what you're saying to us in your word today. And it's so very different from the culture that we live in. Help us to heed the warnings. Lord, give us the courage to help the next generation know what you've got to say about the world, living wisely, and sex. And Father, for those of us who need it, we pray that each of us would, would have the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Help us not to stay silent, but to do business with you today where we need to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.